So Amy talked about, at a high level, the unity of the Trinity. What are some words that might characterize such a unity? The Bible gives us many, and our human experience adds its perspective as well. I have a list that I created. Of course, it is by no means a complete list. And it is only in English, which is also in and of itself. I'm sure uh, John and Susan could add some good German words that would have their own oomph to them. It's good to see you, John and Susan. Welcome back. Yay! But I think it's a good start. And what I would like to do is go around the room reading the words as they appear on the screen one at a time. Okay? So, for people who take notes, I have sheets, a very unusual thing, which is a sheet that has a place for taking notes. I usually don't do this. Does anybody want a place to write things down? For me, it's, it's oftentimes not helpful, actually. Can you pass a couple of these back to the back? Yeah. Here, you just give me a little stack. No, we'll use the rest of the stack later. Anybody else? Is that everyone? Okay. Let's see if I've got this working. So this is unity in relationship. Okay, so we'll start with you, Amy, and go around to John Michael and just around the room, kind of Antioch Network style. Patience. Confidence. Blessing. Transparency. Diversity. Yeah. Trust. Gentleness. Attentiveness. Nearness. Truth. Serving. Kindness. Joy. Sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> Humility. Respect. Responsibility. Honor. Tenderness. Delight. Delight. So if you're taking notes, you might notice that there's a few, uh, using the sheet that I gave you, there's a few missing spaces, and we'll fill those in in a minute. Isn't this what our hearts long for? A right relationship with God, with these characteristics. Relationships with other people that smell like this. Who needs money, fame, power, physical beauty, fancy furniture, all the other things that we spend our time chasing? This is what we should be pursuing. This is a worthy goal that's worthy of spending all of our resources on to live in the unity of the Trinity. That we can even conceive of this type of relationship in the midst of the broken world in which we live shows us that we are made for unity. This is very encouraging. God made us in His image. He made us for Himself. He made us for relationships of unity. This is the norm from heaven's perspective. This is the norm. This is the normal Christian life. But this is not our experience, is it? Most of the time. 
There is another list of words. Let's go around the room again, each person reading one word at a time. John Michael. Tension. Taking offense. Insecurity. Blame. Willful blindness. Competition. Fear. Harshness. Defensiveness. Exclusion. Deception. Manipulation. Meanness. So if you have my sheet, you'll notice that these are paired with what we read before. These are like the opposite. So you read humility before, you got pride this time. You read responsibility before, you have the victim mentality this time. There's a transformation of what the relationship is meant to be like into something else. Now, if you have my sheet, you'll, you'll notice that there's two more words on this list than there were on the other list. And they stick off the bottom, and now there's two gaps in the list of unity words. Let me fill those in. The reason I didn't put them in the previous list is we were talking about the unity of the Trinity. There's two things that come into play, the transformation of anger and the transformation of revenge, that aren't at play at all in the Trinity. The appropriate relational characteristic that's, that gets transformed into anger is confrontation. That's a healthy relationship. Now, I don't, think it, I don't think it happens in the Trinity. I don't think Jesus ever has to confront the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay? But we do in our relationships, and that's a healthy thing. That's a, that's a unity type of characteristic. The second one is forgiveness. So the, the transformation of revenge is forgiveness. Forgiveness, as Hannah Miley says, is releasing vengeance to God, letting Him take vengeance rather than taking it into our own hands. Once again, I don't think in the Trinity there needs to be forgiveness, but in our relationships there does. Ouch. Let's take a moment and let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts, in our minds, in our memories. Meditate on these words. Can some of them be applied to our relationship with God? Does the Holy Spirit bring up in our minds relationships with people that we have that are described by some of these words? We in this room are earnest followers of Jesus. Yet honestly, which list of words would more frequently describe our interactions with each other and with God, with other people? In 2003, Amy and I had to go into the backyard of the house that she mentioned earlier in East Austin because we were yelling at each other so loudly the house was a little confining. For a year... 
It is true. It is true. For a year, Amy had been trying to make me aware that some important aspects of my relationship to her could be described by some of the words in that list. Willful blindness, fear, defensiveness, pride, deception, self-will, and a victim mentality. Now, it wasn't that I didn't love her or that I had broken our marriage covenant. In the midst of my love for her, in the midst of our covenant together, this is how I was treating her. I was causing her pain. It took a year of Amy's gentle, persistent insistence, along with one very loud backyard conversation, (laughs) before I recognized the damage that I was inflicting on, on her. said to me, tell her everything. I mean, literally everything. Tell her everything. She wants to know everything. Little things, what you, you know. I'm like, she doesn't want to know everything. I went back and asked Amy, Amy, do you want to know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I literally went to Amy. Amy, do you, he said to tell you everything. Do you want to know? She's like, yes, yes. But even after that, it took another year of Amy and I crying out to God together before I really found the power to begin to change my behavior. So two-year process. Ten years later, there are still occasional winces from the scars, but for the most part, in this area, our relationship has been brought, the damage has been repaired and our relationship has been brought back to a place of unity. Praise the Lord. In Paul's letters, he has a word for the type of relationship described by this list. Paul's word is hostility. This is a very important word, I think. Hostility is contrasted with unity. There is no hostility between the members of the Trinity. There is hostility between people and between us, people, and God. Let's look at a couple of passages that Paul writes. Hostility in our relationships. Colossians chapter 1. 
And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now, and kind of in a parallel passage, Romans 5, for if while we were hostile to God, we were, so there's this idea that Paul has of hostility to God. Our relational problem with God is not ignorance of him or his will, primarily. It is not primarily an inability to hear him or to know him or to do his will. Our relational problem with God is hostility to him and to his will. Now to recognize that the core problem is hostility is actually very helpful. Because one thing it does is it helps us know what won't solve the problem. So, education is important. Learning. But education does not solve the problem of hostility. It can be helpful. It can actually be harmful. I believe, I've heard it said that the, the highest educated society known in the history of the world was the German society leading up to the Holocaust. So education is not necessarily helpful. It can be helpful, but it doesn't solve the core problem. Neither is tolerance the answer to hostility. And as Amy said, negotiation cannot be the answer either. So what is God's answer to hostility? Aren't you curious to know what happens with the dot, dot, dots in these verses? <laughs> and you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. For if while we were hostile to God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, and then the verse goes on. So according to Paul, God's answer to hostility is reconciliation. Paul uses the Greek word for reconciliation six times in the New Testament. And all, of, all six of these are very important verses for us as a community, for Christ the Reconciler, for Austin House of Prayer, for Wittenberg 2017. Three of those six times, he uses the word hostility, which is sometimes translated enmity or enemies, to describe the condition before reconciliation occurred. Hallelujah! This is really good news. God has an answer for hostility. Praise the Lord. This is highly relevant in our world today, is it not? Has anybody seen any hostility? in the news, around them. God has an answer. He has provided a way to move our relationships with each other from hostility to unity. The unity of the Trinity. That way is reconciliation. So here's a working definition of reconciliation. A series of actions that removes hostility in a relationship 
repairs the damage it caused, and restores God-intended unity. Reconciliation is a series of actions that removes hostility in a relationship, repairs the damage it caused, and restores God-intended unity. So we don't have time this morning to explore what is that series of actions? (laughs) That's a topic in and of itself. A good, a good and worthy topic. But let me make a few comments. Number one, reconciliation is a process. It is a series of actions. It takes time. We talked about the two years, two-year process for me in 2003 to 2005. Number two, Some of the actions are God's. Some of the actions are ours. God is strongly at work in the area of reconciliation. He acts to further reconciliation, to initiate reconciliation. But not all of the actions are God's. Some of the actions are ours. Number three. When hostility exists in a relationship between two people, between me, let's say, and another person, as a follower of Christ, I have already been given the responsibility to pursue reconciliation. I don't wait for God to initiate it. He's given me the responsibility to pursue. Now, I know He will be working with me and probably has already initiated things that I am stepping into. But I don't wait. I don't wait for the other person to initiate it. I have been given the responsibility to initiate it. I take action as far as it lies with me. Now, of course, since it's a matter of two parties, I can't do it all myself. I'm going to reconcile you. (laughs) doesn't work. But I have to go as far as I can. Number four, actions towards, this is going to maybe be a surprising one, actions towards reconciliation always have a physical component. They are not abstract or purely mental. They involve our bodies. We travel somewhere. We show up on time. We speak words, we write letters, we endure pain. Number five, the central act of God regarding reconciliation is the physical death of Jesus on the cross. And you see that in both of those scriptures that we showed up earlier. It has the word physical, his body, his physical body. We are reconciled to God by way of Christ's physical death on the cross. The last point shows the importance of reconciliation in God's plan. Reconciliation is absolutely critical to the plan of God. His plan is a plan of reconciliation. 
It could be said that the Bible is a story of a series of actions that remove hostility in the relationship of men to God, repair the damage that hostility has caused, and restore the God-intended unity. Genesis to Revelation. God is moving men from hostility with him into the unity of the Trinity. So I had an opportunity to speak with George Miley about this on Wednesday, and here's what he said. And as I read his words, I hope those of you who know George can hear his voice. I can certainly hear it as I read these words. Western theology has historically been oriented around the removal of guilt. Why did Jesus come? To die for our sins and to remove our guilt. This is important and it is 100% true. But it is not the most foundational thing. The most foundational thing is that God created man for intimacy with himself. He created us and we had intimacy with him. We chose to break that intimacy and go our own way. This is described sometimes in the Bible as prostitution, particularly with regards to Israel. We went away from him and we sought other gods. From other gods and from ourselves, we sought what he himself was offering to us. The relationship between us was broken. It was our fault. Now we have a broken relationship. God initiated with us the process of reconciliation. God did this by sending his son to die for our sins. Sin has to be dealt with. There is no way to be reconciled without dealing with sin. So reconciliation is not a peripheral thing. It is at the core of what God wants. He wants reconciliation with us. He wants reconciliation with all people. The heart of the gospel is that the God we have violated has initiated the opportunity for us to be reconciled with him. And once we are reconciled with him, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's George Miley. Did some of you hear his voice in that? <laughs> so we at AHOP, we here, have a high calling. It is not soft or squishy or tangential in any way. We are called to pray towards reconciliation. We are called to be reconciled to God. We are called to be reconciled in our families. We are called to be reconciled in our personal relationships, in this community and in our churches. We are called to be a prophetic witness of the existence of hostility between streams of the body of Christ. Let me say that again. We are called to be a prophetic witness that hostility exists between streams of the body of Christ. And also a prophetic witness of the hope of reconciliation and unity. We are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Paul describes this 
beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5. This is another of his six passages that use this word reconciliation. And this one he goes a little overboard. It just uses it like crazy. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So there's, you were said, told by your teacher that you have a gift of being an ambassador. Right, Amy? And John Boyle told me that once. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the way I've actually, the way I came across this, this teaching, I kind of backed into it, because I was just, I wanted to meditate. We named this facility Christ the Reconciler. I wanted to meditate, okay, if that's true, are there any verses in the New Testament that talk about Christ as the Reconciler? And then... Oh, and they all say hostility. That's interesting. So, Okay. But this, you might say, all these verses that we've talked about so far, really, is a, are about unity with God and reconciliation with God. Um, AHOP, if you look at our website, is a ministry of reconciliation that has many facets, but the primary thrust that God has called us into is between Protestant and Catholic streams of the body of Christ. How is that connected? Well, there's a lot that could be said here, and a lot that needs to be said here, and that's why we're going to dedicate a whole series to this topic of reconciliation. This morning, I'll have to keep it short and simple and hopefully clear. First of all, God's desire is not only that men would be united with Him, but that we would be united in Him. George puts it this way. God wants us to be reconciled together because he is creating a family and he wants his family to be reconciled. Amy already referenced Jesus' prayer in John 17 that as his disciples are drawn up into the love of the triune God, they would become like him in their relationships with each other. Here are two more passages from Ephesians that are very clear about God's purpose. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but look at the end. When the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, under Christ. And then, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there's this drive of God towards the unity of his people. If the goal of un is unity, what is the state of all things now? Well, as we've learned this morning, it's a state of hostility. Not entirely, but a, a lot. A lot. This includes us in our relationships with each other. We are hostile with each other. 
So we need reconciliation between one another, one to another, between our families, members of our families, our cultures, races, our churches, our denominations, our schisms. We need reconciliation. I want to close with perhaps the most important passage in the New Testament in this regard, reconciliation between groups of people. This is another of Paul's six uses of the word reconciliation. This is a long passage, so I'd like two people to read it, one to read the first part and then one to read the second. Can I get two volunteers with strong voices? Bree, Karen. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Thank you. So this is a rich and complex passage. As we study this passage going forward, we will learn a lot about God's way of reconciliation. Here are three points to consider as I close. Number one, the problem addressed by reconciliation is hostility. Protestant-Catholic reconciliation must address our hostility. Neither theological disputation nor strategies of compromise and negotiation will solve the problem of hostility. Now, those of you who are in the room, I'm going to take myself as an example. I'm a Protestant. We Protestants might be thinking, I don't feel hostile towards Catholics. This is my friends over here. We Protestants have killed Catholics. The 30 Days War. 30 Years War, sorry. 30 Years War in, in Great Britain, putting, burning them at the stake. Recently in Northern Ireland, we have a history, we Protestants, of hostility towards Catholics, and it goes the other way. That's point number one. Point number two is, if you look at the words to describe hostility, they're not all murder. There's things like exclusion, distrust, willful blindness. We... Today, I, as a Protestant, have that towards my Catholic brothers and sisters. Number two, the problem is hostility between Catholics and Protestants primarily. This is what God's saying. This is what reconciliation is about. It's solving and addressing the issue of hostility. So the most important step in the process of reconciliation between two groups that are hostile to each other 
is for both of them to be reconciled to God. That's the most important thing. Reconcile both of them to God through the cross, thus putting to death their hostility. That's the first step, the most important part of the process. So our calling to Protestant and Catholics for reconciliation is be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And it shows that repentance is a key part of this. We have hostility, we've hurt each other, we've damaged each other. Repentance for that is really important. And repentance is to God first, but then also to your brother and sister. Point number three, and this may be a little surprising, a little bit like the physical, every, every act of reconciliation involves something, some, some ways, a physical component. This may surprise some of you, and it's surprising to me. I'm still learning about this. Number three, the hostile relationship between Jew and Gentile, between Israel and the nations, is the most important division between human groups. It's the prototype God provides as a prototype for reconciliation between groups. Protestant-Catholic reconciliation is deeply connected to the Jewish question. This is a very, for me, a very surprising thing to say. Five years ago, I would not have said this. <laughs> the Germans have taught me this. <laughs> Father Peter has taught me this. I'm still learning, and it's a very deep and complex and important thing to do. But I believe, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, John and Susan, when there was Protestant Catholic reconciliation at the Mayor Conference that you were just at, who else was on the stage? Yeah, I'll be with Rocky from Israel. He was the Messianic Jewish leader, the debates off the right. House of Prayer in Tel Aviv, actually, the one that's now. I think Mariana mentioned this when she was here in November. The guys that were having trouble with the Ultra Orthodox, that's him. Mm -hmm. That's his house of prayer. Yeah. Um, so he's on the stage. Well, the best thing about that is that it was totally un unplanned. I mean, he just happened to be there, and Alan Hood was supposed to have left. He, he was just walking around downtown. Um, something Catholics singing a worship song that he only already recognized was Jesus, and he just started to weep and he said he was terrified by the thought that his sons might not be able to love these people because they were Catholic. Mm. And so he came back to the mayor to give that testimony on stage, and so that everybody prayed with each other. George Miley says, when there's a Messianic Jew in the room, it changes things. All right, next month, Dr. Andy Jackson will be speaking to us. His experience is one of reconciliation with the eastern stream of the body of Christ. It's a very fascinating story. He's an, a very interesting man. I encourage you to come if you can. As he talks, I want you to keep in mind the points we've discussed today about unity and hostility and reconciliation. As you hear the series of actions that has occurred in Andrew Jackson, a thoroughgoing Protestant evangelical, as he got confronted with and somehow is now deeply immersed in connection with the Eastern Church. This was not on his radar screen. <laughs> and now he's seeing, he has a deep hostility towards the Catholic Church. But he's seeing something happening in the Middle East that has to do with reconciliation between the Eastern and the Roman Catholic Church, between Pope Francis and Patriarch Bartholomew in Istanbul. And he'll talk about that. And you want to talk about hostility? 
repairing the damage done by hostility, we've got a thousand years to work with there. So, I have over here on the table some books about the Eastern Church. We're not very, we, we Americans are not very familiar with the history of the Eastern Church. If you want to grab one of those books and check it out from our library and bring it back, <laughs> my way of checking it out is I'm going to take a picture of you holding the book. And then I've got it on my phone. You can't deny it. If you want to take one of those books and bring it back next month, please don't hesitate. One of them is called The Mountain of Silence. It's a fairly, a fair, apparently, I haven't read it, a fairly apologetic for Easter Church. They're going to try to convince you to join the Eastern Church, so just be aware that one is the Mountain of Silence. The rest are more balanced and educational in, in nature. Okay? May God grant us an ever-expanding ability to walk worthy of our calling, our high calling, in the ministry of reconciliation.